Let's take a look tonight. Uh, you know, I talk real fast, and I know that. And I leave a lot of people uh, confused over end times events. So tonight I wanted to, it's just part two of what we looked at last week with the, the battle of Gog, who is of the land of Magog, which is the land of the north. Uh, perhaps Russia, Syria, whatever's north, it's north of Israel. And it's, uh, when we look at the future of Israel, we've looked at its past, we've looked at its present, we've looked at its future last week, and we'll just do part two of its future. So let's, uh, let's do that tonight, and uh, let's pray first, though. Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, thank you for allowing us to speak to you, to speak of you. Thank you for blessing us in spite of ourselves. Thank you for giving us your word that we can look at and we can study, we can be transformed by. So I pray that that's what would occur tonight, that we would be transformed by your word. And this is not a, a, a doctrine of salvation, which we believe is perhaps more important than eschatology, and yet eschatology is there to, to remind us you're in charge. You know what's going to happen. You are sovereign. Uh, remind us of that. Uh, bring great joy to us as a reminder that you are sovereign and in control. When it looks to us like everything is out of control, you've got this. Thank you, Lord. Remind us of that. May we leave here uh, perhaps like a football team running through a banner, all excited. Uh, we win. We already won. Because Jesus, our Lord, won. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so let's summarize some of these end times events. Um, number one, we looked at this last Sunday, a Sunday week ago, uh, was Daniel's 77s. Seventy uh, sevens are decreed for your people, Daniel. Your people, Daniel, are, is Israel. Israel is the same as the Jews we call today. The Jewish nation of Israel, 77s were decreed, and it prophesies 490 years. Uh, your Bible will say four, um, 70 weeks, but the word for weeks is seven, 77s. Um, prophesies, when you put it together, it's 490 years for Israel. 490 years have been decreed for your people, Daniel, or Israel, 69 of which came to pass when the Messiah came, Jesus our Lord, and he was cut off, because that's what Daniel 9.26 says. The Messiah will be cut off after the 69th seven. That happened. We know that happened. We read about that, the Bible, read about that in the Bible. It didn't happen willy-nilly. It wasn't just out of nowhere. By the way, do not look at that clock. It's way off. Um, this one is a little bit fast, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm following along here. So if you're looking over there, you're, you're in trouble. The last seven is separate from the 69, from the previous 69. That will make 77. So let's take a look what that looks like. Uh, the last week says this. He, that is, the prince who is to come. We call him the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. That's the last week. That's the last week or the last seven of the 70, of the 490, I should say. But in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. Well, that makes sense to Jews. They make sacrifices. They bring grain offerings. They bring animals for sacrifice. They shed blood, grain offerings. So if you've got one week, you've got seven years, and he's going to make a covenant for seven years with the many, with, the, with Israel. In the middle of that week, he's going to cut it off. He's going to put a stop to the sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. That's a fancy way of saying the Antichrist is going to show and uh, bare his teeth 
And we're going to know exactly who he is, the world at that time, and he is going to make a complete destruction, one that is decreed, and it is poured out on the one who makes desolate. He's the one that's going to make it all desolate. Desolate, you know what it means to be desolate. He's going to try to desolate Israel. He's going to be, try to destroy it. In the middle of that week, they've got seven years, which is the one week, the last week of Daniel's 70, 490 years. 483 of them have been fulfilled, and there's this gap between the 483rd and the last seven, which will bring it to 490. We call it the church age. I'll show you a picture of what that looks like in the next slide. And in the last week, when it comes about, that last week, and who is that last week for? Your people, Israel. It's one of the reasons that we say that the church will be raptured. It's not for the church. It's a time of great tribulation. It has nothing to do with the church. God doesn't want the church in it. Any more so than he wanted uh, Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah when God destroyed it. Any more so than he wanted Noah and his family on the earth when he flooded it. He saved them. We believe that that's why the rapture occurs before that time period. The gospel of Christ was rejected by Israel. They're the ones that cut him off, killed him. And then it went to the Gentiles. We see that in the New Testament. We see that in the book of Acts. That's what we studied about, the book of Acts where it went to the Gentiles. It went to the Jews first, and some of the Jews accepted it. rest of them said, no, it went to the Gentiles. Paul says in Romans eleven twenty five, for I do not want you, brethren, who's Paul speaking to? He's Jewish, isn't he? He's talking to Israel. I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel a hardening is that which they're hardened. Their hearts are hardened. They can't understand. They rejected their Messiah. They killed their Messiah. And so God hardened them, blinded them. When? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. The fullness of the Gentiles, Gentiles are anyone that's not Jewish. And so the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. So if Israel was kind of, let's just look at it. Israel was coming up, coming up, coming up. They're, they're believing, they're believing. And they stop believing. They kill the Christ. Or what little, what few come to know Christ here, that's it. They, they're, they're hardened at this point. And then the Gentiles, way over here, the gospel goes up to them and they're believing. It's like a cup being filled up. And when it's finally full, we don't know when that's going to be. When uh, the Gentiles, the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, he goes back and finishes his plan with Israel. And the next verse, verse 26 says, and so all Israel will be saved. Every person in Israel? No. Every Israelite who believed before Christ, added to those today who are believing in Christ, added to those in the future who will believe in Christ, put them all together, that's Israel. Are there many people who are from Israel who will not believe? Oh yeah, there's more that are from Israel who won't believe than those who are believing. Once the full number comes in, you see God has a number in his mind. Let's just say that, let's just take an arbitrary round number. Let's say God has 3,000 Israelites. It's far more than that. 3,000 Israelites who are going to be saved. He has appointed them. He has predestined them as he has predestined Gentiles. Let's just say arbitrarily 1,000 of them came to know God through faith before Jesus. Abraham and company. Boom, that's 1,000. Let's say another 1,000 of them came in after Christ, from the day of Christ to the present day, another 1,000, and that's going to be all. Now, in the future, when the Christ comes during that last seven years, that last week, another 1,000, the, the rest of the, the 3,000 had come to know Christ. 
The first 2,000 is not all Israel. Got to have 3,000 to be all Israel. Waiting for the other 1,000 to make all Israel, and thus all Israel will be saved. Well, they, well, I'm just using arbitrary numbers, Sharon. So, Are they ones, they're, they're going to be known at the beginning of tribulation. Okay, when the church is raptured, right. there's nobody left to share the gospel, is there? Right. The Without the church, there's no, there's no gospel. So God selects 12,000 from every tribe of Israel, 144,000, and they become, at the middle, beginning of the tribulation, the evangelists on the earth. Excuse me? They're not raptured because they're not believers. They will be saved after the rapture, very shortly thereafter. And we note that they're from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So that means that God knows who these tribes are, who represents these tribes, even though Israel does not. Okay, so here's your Daniel 70 weeks. Up on the board, you got the first 69 weeks spoken of in Daniel 9, 24 to 25. Um, and you put together, it, it, because the Jews used a 360-day year, and we use a 365-day year, and even though our 365-day years, every four years we've got to throw in another day to bring it back up to speed, um, all we do is just the simple multiplication of the 69 uh, weeks, which is 483 years, times their 360-day year, and that brings it down to days. So when we take the days, it's much easier to count backwards. So you go to 444 B.C., and you count the 173,880 days. The decree went out in 444 B.C. by Artaxerxes. Count down the days. You don't have to worry about anything else except the days. No more, no leap years, just the days. And you come down to the day that Jesus came into town uh, on a colt in A.D. 33, March the 30th. Now, you'll see some Bibles that will say it's, it's in A.D. 30. They take the, the decree from 445 B.C. So you'll see a little bit of give here and there. There's a little bit of, hey, they said this and they said that. A um, little bit of that. So don't let that throw you off. Just know that your pastor, or at least the pastor of this church, is right. <laughs> so you've, after the Messiah is cut off, there's the church age. You put it in parentheses. This parenthetical time period. Whereby the church is going, that's going out to the Gentiles. We're waiting for the full number of Gentiles to come in. When it does, there's that 70th week, which is seven years. Nice little picture for those of you who like pictures. I do. The final seven. Again, Daniel 9, 27, he will make a firm covenant. He is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant. With the many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until it is a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. In other words, God's decreed it. It's coming. Um, what do you have to have to be able to put an end to sacrifice? You have to have sacrifices. You have to have sacrifices. What do you have to have to have sacrifices? What else do you have to have? A priesthood. From the proper line. Has to be. Now, no one knows who the Levites are. The closest thing Israel has is the last name Cohen. It's a Hebrew word for priest. But that doesn't mean they're priests. It's just a last name. It's a surname. No one knows. So God will institute it. Now, we've got another big problem. Not only do we not know who the tribe is, we don't uh, have no way possible in our minds of what we know about Islam and, and and uh, Judaism, that is going to that the Jews are going to or the 
the uh, Muslims are going to sit back and say, look, let's play nice. I mean, they're not given an inch on land. Do you think for one moment they're going to allow that dome of the rock to be torn down so Israel can rebuild their temple? Not a chance. Not a chance in Hades. It will not happen. So, as we go through, I'll tell you how I think it is. This is the tribulation. We call that one week the tribulation. Sometimes it's divided up between half and half, and the, the second half is called the great tribulation. You read about the tribulation in Revelation chapters 6 through 18. It culminates with the coming of Christ in Revelation 19. It is broken into halves, notated by the breaking of the covenant in the middle of the covenant, right there in the passage. The last half of the tribulation is often called, in some passages of the Bible, a time, which is a year, times, which is two years, and half a time, which is half a year, that's three and a half years. Spoken of in Daniel 7.25 and 12.7. It's also called 42 months. It's the same time in Revelation 11.2 and 13.5. And it's also called 1260 days. That's Revelation 11.3 and 12.6. It's all the same time period. It's three and a half years spoken of in different ways. So when we look at events fulfilled in preparation for the end, first, there's got to be a worldwide regathering of Israel while they are still in their unbelief in preparation for the coming Future judgment. Okay? God has gathered them together. We looked at that when, our, when we were looking at Gog of the land of Magog. Ezekiel 20, verses 33 to 38, speaks of this very clearly, where God will regather them from all over in their unbelief. And he's done that. Israel came out of the Holocaust, out of man's wrath, into the land in unbelief, in preparation for God's future wrath. With a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and wrath poured out, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 33 and following. God's done that. So these are events that are coming to pass. This has to have happened before the end could have happened. God did that. 1948, Israel began regathering from the four corners of the earth, not just from their Babylonian exile. This is where Israel and the current eschatological calendar exists today. Israel regathered from the nations in their unbelief. They're from all over the world. They're coming to their land. They're trickling in. And as you know, Jews were scattered in what's called the diaspora all over the planet. They're making their way in. Future events that are yet future. I thought that was a pretty nice way to put that. We're waiting for future events, and that will happen in the future. All current events, everything you read about today, everything on the news, the wars, the rumors of wars, the massive amount of earthquakes, etc., as Jesus says, are merely the beginning of birth pangs. So there is no reason to go around and come to me and give me an article that says, wow, look at the frequency of earthquakes. I already know that. I don't need to read that. You don't need to tell me about it. It's not even interesting. It's been happening for uh, 2,000 years. No, no articles bring me on the increase of earthquakes, please. <laughs> I know these things. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Ladies, if you've had a baby, the beginnings of birth pangs are not the birth of a baby, are they? You already know you're pregnant, right? You're nine months along. The baby's kicking. You know you're going to have the baby. Hey, honey, I felt the baby kick. Yeah, don't bother me with that. I know it. I'm watching the game, right? <laughs> but when those are, you get a really a huge surge, 30 minutes, and they're 30 minutes apart, and they're 20 minutes apart. When they're five minutes apart, you better be at the doctor. These are the beginnings of birth pangs. Jesus called them birth pangs. They're moving along slowly. These are events that have, have been happening for 2,000 years and will continue to happen. 
These are not in any way for us to look at and say, Jesus is coming back. Do you think Jesus is coming back? Yes, I know Jesus is coming back. I cannot use any world event, neither can you, to say he's closer, other than to say another second ticked off my clock. Yes, he's closer. Do you think it'll happen in our lifetime? I don't know how to answer that question. Do I, th- I hope it does, but do I think it will? No, I don't. I really don't think it will. I think that we think that today is the, the world is worse than it's ever been, and I've been re- looking at history, and I, I'm not sure today is as bad as it used to be. I'm really not. I think it's probably today is, we think it's worse because we read articles and, and the news is sensationalized to make us think everything is so bad. And it is. So future events, yet future. Uh, those are just current events happening in bullet point one. The rapture of the church, if it's pre-tribulational, which in other words, if it happens prior to the tribulation events, will occur without warning at any moment. It's an imminent event. I believe that. I believe that's when it happens. It could happen at any moment. There's no signs that say it's coming. Some think it's going to be more towards September uh, before the Feast of Trumpets because that's when the final trumpet blows and the people want to put it together. Maybe. But uh, I'm guessing God's kind of snickering at that, going, uh, I'm going to make it happen in July. Um, don't. The rapture of the church is, it could happen at any moment. At any time, it's an imminent event. It's meant to be imminent so that we are constantly ready. We're always ready. God could come at any moment. Shortly thereafter, shortly after the rapture, that is, Daniel 9.27 will begin to unfold. That last week, that last seven years, it will begin to unfold. A world ruler, whom the Bible calls the man of lawlessness, we call him the Antichrist, he will arise and broker a treaty with Israel, allowing the nation to rebuild their temple and resume blood sacrifices. Now, I told you last week, it's my theory that the only way that can happen is that the battle of Gog with all of his allies, which are all Muslim, are defeated and Islam is gone. I think there's a, there's a good point to be made, just a possibility of that, that happening, because that's the only way you're going to get a temple rebuilt on the, on the site where the Muslim Dome of the Rock is. They're not even going to let it happen next door. That's, you're not going to do it. A Jew goes up under the Temple Mount and there's a war, right? Ask Ariel Sharon. Yeah, Connie? Down the street, in the city of David, yeah. 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 People say that. I don't know. I think that's the place, the Dome of the Rock. I think that's where Abraham took Isaac. Um, I've heard that, and, and there's a possibility. But even that is so close to it. And as you go down from the Muslim Dome of the Rock, you go to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is right down the, right over there, stone's throw. And so you're getting closer to that site where they think the temple really was in the city of David, and it's just right there next to it. They're still not going to let that happen. I think Islam has to be gone, has to be obliterated. And the Battle of Gog, remember all of his allies, I showed you, are all Muslim countries. And they, they are coming, and God will bring them into Israel, and God will defeat all of those nations. Which is why I think the Antichrist is able to take, or I should say how the Antichrist is able to take control, or the control that he has. Just my theory, my heresy, but that's the only way I can see it happen. God can do it the way he sees it happening. God's probably snickering at that. I think he snickers at every time we sit back and say, well, this could happen. But people always ask, as they should, how in the world are you going to get a temple on that site? The treaty is broken in the middle of that final seven. 
And Jesus warns all people at this point, when you see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple where it ought not be, what? Run. If you left your, your jacket, he says, if you're on the roof and you left your jacket throwing over a stone over there, and you heard that the Antichrist has now set up the abomination of desolation, or a man, you're not going to know him as the Antichrist if you're in Israel. You're a Jew. You've missed the rapture. When you hear that, don't go get your jacket. Run immediately. You don't have time to get your... That's what Jesus says. And so Jews are now again dispersed in the middle of the tribulation outside of Jerusalem, unless they've been captured and killed. Life will be tremendously difficult in those days. The last 1,260 days, 300 or three and a half years, is what's called the Great Tribulation. The Jews will be persecuted like never before by someone that they thought was their friend, the man of lawlessness. In Revelation 12, 5 to 6, note this. And the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That's who the context is. I put it in brackets. Uh, really, the passage just says, and she, but it's talking about the woman in 12, 1, uh, who represents Israel. Israel is the woman clothed with the sun, has the moon under her feet, and, a head of, and, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. When she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now that's talking about Israel giving birth to her Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus died, he was crucified, he was raised three days later, he ascended into heaven 40 days later. That's what happened with Jesus. Notice the next line. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, that's Israel where she had a place prepared, for by, prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. So in this passage, Jesus ascends and bam, you're in the middle of the tribulation. Revelation doesn't even see the church age. The church is never even mentioned in Revelation. Why? Because we ain't here. This is God's plan for Israel. It's what it always was. So I put there, no, Revelation skips the entire church age up to Israel's preservation during the tribulation. So uh, their Messiah is caught up to heaven, and immediately in, in Revelation, we, don't, we know it's not in reality, but what it's concerned with is now Israel being persecuted. Because remember, that last week, at last seven, is for who? For Israel. Then a second worldwide regathering of Israel occur, this time in faith in preparation for blessing, which is what we call the Messianic kingdom, the millennial kingdom. Jesus reigning on the earth. He returns, and he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. Israel is gathered a second time. Why does the second matter? Because Isaiah said there will only be two gatherings, two regatherings. Here it is. Isaiah says, then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people. Note that, the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath. That's Jews that have scattered. They've gone out from Israel, even though they've been gathered since 1948. They're regathered. He will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That's Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. So there can only be two regatherings. One of them happened in 1948. They came out of wrath, out of World War II. They were gathered to their land from all over the planet. They will be scattered again, and they will be regathered only twice. Can it happen? So in the second regathering, here's what God says. We looked at this last week. Ezekiel 37, 21 to 27. This is God saying, I will take Israel from among the nations. will gather them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land. One king will be for all of them. They will no longer be two nations. 
I will deliver them and will cleanse them. My servant David will be king over them. They will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes. They will, have, they will live on the land that I gave to Jacob forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them, an everlasting covenant, which is a little different than the seven-year covenant that wasn't everlasting. I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place will also be with them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is the history of Israel in the future. This is what's coming. But it comes in the aftermath of great bloodshed. After Gog has made his way down, brought all the surrounding armies, which you looked at last week, God annihilates those nations and those people, Gog and all of his armies, starts a peace treaty. Israel regathers. They're coming back, and then God takes them right at the end and brings them to belief. Through the 144,000, each Israelite who's chosen to believe will believe, and by the end of it, when Jesus returns, he returns to separate sheep from goats. Read about that in Matthew 25, 31 and following. The sheep are those who believe, and the goats are those who don't believe. There's not going to be that many people left at the end of the tribulation. It's so horrific, and if you ever read the book of Revelation, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, the question becomes, when will Gog invade? The answer is up front, I don't know. I don't know. So, we'll surmise a few things here. At the end of it, you're just going to be more confused. Can you prepare yourself for that? Just go ahead and prepare yourself to say, I'm going to be confused. I need to know why. And uh, I don't, whatever book you read, whatever you come, conclusion you think you come to, uh, you'll change your mind when you read something else. It, it, nothing really fits. Um, but I've got my own opinions, at least possible opinions. Some see the passage as entirely symbolic. No time frame. It's just symbolic that uh, all these wars are going to happen and God represents everyone. I don't buy that one. Before the tribulation, just prior to the rapture, that's a possibility. In fact, that's the one I lean towards uh, is that the, the battle of Gog from the land of Magog will happen just before the tribulation, just before the rapture even. It'll happen soon after the rapture in the first part of the tribulation, perhaps. It might happen at the mid-tribulation. It might happen post-tribulation. Might happen during the millennium. Definitely not. No way that's going to happen. Or happen at post millennium because in Revelation 27 to 8, uh, there's another mention of Gog and Magog, uh, which is really just a reference back to, to a previous war. It's not the same war. Um, so it can be confusing. So, has Gog already invaded Israel? Some advocate that the invasion and demise of Gog who was from the north, perhaps Russia, occurred in 169 B.C. in the war between the armies of Antiochus Epiphanes and the Maccabeans when Jerusalem was pillaged and the temple was defiled. And this is a, you can read about this in First and Second Maccabees, horrible historic event of what Antiochus Epiphanes did. In fact, Antiochus Epiphanes, his, uh, his life is the precursor to the Antichrist. He was a vile man, uh, and we know a lot about him. And we know how he died. We know what he did. He hated Jews, and he hated God. He hated Judaism. Uh, he slaughtered a pig and threw its blood all around the, uh, the temple to desecrate it. In fact, that's why Jews celebrate Hanukkah today, when they cleanse that temple. Some think that it's Antiochus Epiphanes. Yet the context of Ezekiel 38 and 39, of the Battle of Gog, of the land of Magog, concerns a time and restoration, the restoration of Israel uh, in the eschaton, or in the end times. When she, that's Israel, lives in security. Furthermore, Antiochus did not die in Israel. Neither were his armies defeated in the manner asserted by Ezekiel 33, 39. So I, 
3839. I don't think it has anything to do with it, but it's what one particular commentator said. So I thought I'd bring that up to you. Does it happen pre-tribulation, prior to the tribulation? Does it happen prior to the 70th week of Daniel? Israel must be a nation. Their waste places must be inhabited, dwelling in unwalled villages and living securely. It does not say they're living in peace, but they're living securely. And all of this describes present-day Israel. In other words, the land, in, in my view, from this, is, is ripe for such an invasion. In fact, you can see what happened back on October 7th. They were having a party. No one really uh, suspected at all what was about to happen in the southern part of Israel, unfortunately. The northern, which may be Russian, confederacy invades Israel during this time. Could this happen before the rapture? Now, I ask, could it happen before the rapture? Because we read about there needing to be seven years of, uh, of burning all the, the weapons of war. And then you've got to have seven months for burning all the, the uh, not burning, for burying the dead. Finding dead bodies, finding dead bones. Israel has to be cleansed. Well, Israel can't do this in the second part of the tribulation. They are, they are gone and they're under fire. They can't even show their face. Uh, you think anti-Semitism is bad today, then it will be, uh, they will die just showing their face. Um, and so if it happens before the rapture, that means it could happen today. Let's say the rapture is four years away. Uh, I think today would be a great day for it to happen. The armies of the north come down into Israel, and they invade, and they, by the end of it, God obliterates them. Obliterates them, and now Islam is gone. Now that's a vacuum of space for a world leader to step in and say, let's make peace here. We can finally make peace. Jews, build your temple. Great, they're on. They've got all the supplies. They're ready to build it right now anyway. You can visit their, their institute. They've got everything ready. Everything's ready for it, for the building of it, and everything to go in it. They're ready anytime. That's their Messiah, that temple. Uh, that is really their great hope. They believe once they build it, the Messiah will come. So if it happens then, then things could unfold. There are problems with it, though. When you read Ezekiel 38, 39, it's just not that easy. It just doesn't fit that easily. Unfortunately, not uh, everything fits so nicely. The Confederacy would thus be destroyed in Israel pre-tribulation. We could see that happen. The problem is that Ezekiel 39, 7 says that God's name will no longer be defiled, yet we know that it will be blasphemed all through the tribulation. So it doesn't really fit. My, my theory stinks. I say that before you say it. I beat you to the punch. The recognition of God's sovereignty by the nations and Israel. Remember, all the way through, God is saying, then you will know that I am the Lord. This is the recognition of his sovereignty by the nations and Israel. Would be more in keeping with the universal knowledge of God when Jesus Christ returns and is present than at a time before the tribulation even begins. So, again, my theory is not so good. Maybe it happens at the middle of the tribulation. Okay, the Jews have got their temple rebuilt, however they had it done. They're in the middle of it, three and a half years in, everything looks good. Maybe that's when the battle happens. Maybe that's when Gog comes back. This view takes their dwelling securely, means that they're living in a time of peace that results from Israel's covenant with the Antichrist. They don't know he's the Antichrist. He's just a good guy that let them build their temple. Well, it can't happen. First, to dwell securely does not mean peace. Uh, second, it's hard to see why God would intervene at this point on Israel's behalf intervening at the middle of the tribulation and then immediately allow the events of the second half of the tribulation to commence. Because the second half of the tribulation, they're dispersed, they're killed, they're, they're, they have to be chased into the wilderness where God has to protect them. That doesn't make any sense. So mid-tribulation, 
I shouldn't say make any sense. I just don't think it works. And third, this view fails to solve the problem of the seven months and the seven years. Seven years of burning the, the weapons of war, seven months of burying the dead. This view could requ would require that the seven months of burying would take place during the second half of the tribulation at a time when the Jews were in flight. Jews are not walking around looking for a place to bury their dead, as I said before. Let alone those of Gog's armies and his allies who are all killed. The state of the Jews in the middle of the tribulation will not permit seven months of burial and, bu and building a new city as well. It just won't. As for the seven years of burning, this would require the Jews, if it happens at the midpoint, and there's only three and a half years of the tribulation, but seven years of burning, that means you're moving into three and a half years of the millennial reign of Christ. That's possible. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They would also have to continue burning them for three and a half years into the millennium, which seems inconsistent with the Messiah's cleansing of the land, and the renovation that results. The problems the Jews will face during the second half of the tribulation would cause them to try to preserve and salvage these weapons rather than burn them. Why burn weapons in the middle of the tribulation when you're being bombarded and attempted annihilation? You're not burning weapons, not doing it willingly, right? So it doesn't really fit the middle. How about the end of the tribulation? That's what you're asking. Same as Armageddon, the big battle of Armageddon. Is it the same battle as Armageddon? First, in Ezekiel, there are definite allies mentioned, and they are limited in number, while other nations stand in opposition. So, in other words, Israel has allies that are mentioned. In the campaign of Armageddon, however, all the nations are allied together against Israel. So it doesn't fit. Second, I've got more reasons why this one, is to any, why this one can't be as to any of them. Second, Ezekiel invasion, invasion comes from the north, but the Armageddon invasion comes from all over the world. So it can't be the same. Third, the purpose of the Russian or the northern invasion is to take spoil. We learned that last week. They want to come in and take spoil. The land of Israel is rich with spoil. But the purpose of Armageddon is to destroy the Jews and their Christ. Fourth, in the Ezekiel invasion of Gog, there is a protest against the invasion. At Armageddon, there is no protest. Everyone's involved. It's the final battle to annihilate Israel. Fifth, the Ezekiel invasion is destroyed through convulsions of nature. The Armageddon invasion is destroyed by the return of Christ. Convulsions of nature. Um, it is uh, uh, earthquakes. This Ezekiel invasion is destroyed through God. Um, remember, what does he do? He rains down hailstones. Uh, God is the one, and the armies are killing each other. God is pitting them against each other. But the Armageddon invasion is destroyed by the return of Christ. Jesus returns, and it's all put down. Sixth, the Ezekiel invasion is destroyed on the mountains of Israel. The Armageddon campaign is destroyed in the area between Bozrah, which is Petra, and Jerusalem. Different locations. Seventh, the Russian invasion takes place while Israel is living securely in the land. Armageddon campaign at the end of the tribulation takes place while Israel is in flight and in hiding. And eighth, this view fails to solve the problem of the seven months and the seven years, since both would have to continue into the millennium to be accomplished. Yet the kingdom begins with a thoroughly cleansed earth. Are you having fun? End times. End times. That's why there's so many crazy people that talk about the end times. Everybody's got a cockamamie theory, an idea about what's happening. What's and, and let me just warn you, please don't bring those to me. Don't send me links. I don't want to see another video. I don't care. Uh, I don't know, and neither do you. And what I do know is that Jesus is coming back. 
I know there's a rapture. The Bible tells about it. I know there's a seven-year tribulation. I know there's a war. I don't know where it all fits in. Gog and Magog just throws it all off. If we didn't have Gog and Magog, it all fits pretty well on a nice little Dallas Theological Seminary timeline. Boom, 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 boom. Will Gog invade right after the rapture? So they got the rapture. Now, by, mind you, they've got the rapture. There is no time frame that says that that seventh week begins, that 70th week begins right after the rapture. There could be a, a long interim. That could be the time of Gog and Magog. Um, we assume it happens right after the rapture because God's taking us out so we could meet out his, his uh, last seven years of wrath on Israel. God's people are restored and living securely in the land when they are attacked, according to Ezekiel 38, 8, and 11. This is the result of the Antichrist, who is the first horseman of the apocalypse, bringing in a temporary and false peace. Yeah, that's easy. Uh, the church is raptured. The world is now rid of, of Christianity and all of us preachers and evangelists. We're gone, and now all of a sudden uh, there's peace, and it's this calm peace. Um, Maybe that's when the battle comes down. Maybe that's when he decides to invade. Israel is living securely in their land because the Antichrist has given them uh, peace. The Antichrist at this point will gain control at the mid-trib after Gog and his armies are defeated. So the battle will last about three, three and a half years. And up to the mid-trib, Antichrist will take his, uh, uh, well, Gog's armies are defeated. Antichrist fills in the gap. Problem is, after Armageddon, and what's called the bird feast. What, what are the birds feasting on, do you know? People. <laughs> People. After Armageddon, that's after that's the last burst of the wrath of the Lamb. That's what the, the book of Revelation is. That it's God's wrath. After the last burst of God's wrath and Jesus returns, there is a bird feast. So after Armageddon, that's the second coming of Christ, he comes. The end of the tribulation seems to be when Gog is defeated. And that's at the end of the, the book of, of the tribulation. He seems to be defeated at the end. At least that's where the bird feast is. If Revelation 19, 17 to 19, and Ezekiel 39, 17 to 20 record the same event. So let's take a look if it's the same event. Ezekiel 39 says this, speaking of the battle of Gog from the land of Magog. Thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat the flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of the princes of the earth as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted and drink blood until you are drunk. From my sacrifice, which I sacrifice for you, you will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers, with mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. He's talking to Gog. This is what's going to happen to you and your people. You're going to be eaten. It's a big blood feast. You lose. Now, Revelation chapter 19 speaks of, John says, I saw an angel standing in the sun. This is at the end of the tribulation. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in midheaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men. So all of this is to say, if the battle of Gog, of the land of Magog, ends like it says in Ezekiel 39, 17 to 20, with a bird feast, that's at the end of the tribulation, according to Revelation 19. So that means that the battle of Gog from the land of Magog happens Whenever it happens, it ends at the end of the tribulation. If those two bird feasts are the same thing. Maybe there's two different bird feasts. Ah, 
Now we're all confused again. God's judgment in Ezekiel find its corresponding features in God's treading of the winepress of wrath in Revelation 19, also in chapter 14, especially in the sword which Yahweh calls for against Gog in Ezekiel and the sword proceeding out of the Lord's mouth in Revelation 19, both of which smite the nations that come against the land of Israel and Yahweh. So at the very least, we can say, whenever it happens, God is ordaining that it happens. He has choreographed the battle to kill the enemies of his son so that they can be eaten by birds so that when Jesus returns with his raptured church and we're having the wedding feast, we're having the feast with Jesus right next to the big, huge, bloody bird feast over here where they're eating all of God's enemies. Looking forward to that? Pretty disgusting, I know. But if you ever wanted to see and, you know, folks, imagine, I'm sure you've been angered, as I have, to watch and to, to hear, I should say, about what goes on, what has gone on underneath those tunnels, what Hamas does to people, how they treat children and women, how they have degraded these women uh, and men. Uh, it's horrific. It, it's, I, don't even, I don't even know the, the, the surface of it. I haven't looked. I don't want to know. I know what gross is. I know what terrible is. It just really fires me up. I mean, it boils my blood. I don't need to be that way. Um, these are people that no one's going to, to uh, mourn when they die. Same way God, when he sent Joshua into the land of Canaan and said, annihilate them all. That sounds terrible if they're all just a bunch of people that, that, are, that are living in a nice little farming neighborhood and, and not bothering anybody, but they're not. They're a bunch of ISIS members. They're Taliban. Excuse me? It's the same as the Lord sent one angel to kill 185,000. Yeah, yeah, you've got the same situation right in 2 Kings where, where one angel kills 185,000 people. And, and there's nothing, no commentary. That's just what God does to his enemies. People today... Even people that call themselves Christians think they, have the, think they have the right to judge God for this. Well, how can, you, how can you believe in a God that does that? We must believe in a God of judgment. He is a God of judgment. He's a God of wrath. He's a God of, because he's a God of holiness. And a holy God cannot, will not tolerate sin and will judge it. But for those of us who are in Christ, who believe in his son, that peace treaty he gave us, we deserve the same ground. We, need, we deserve to be eaten by birds alive while we're alive, pecked at and eaten until we die. That's what we deserve. If you don't think that, you don't know what sin is in your life. But by His grace, save some of us. All of us deserve that. Be careful about hanging with people or, or buying into the idea that you can't believe in a God who does that. 185,000, bam. That's nothing for God. God will judge. At the very least, Ezekiel teaches us that no matter what the forces of evil may throw at God's people, in the final analysis, God's purpose and victory stand secure. He wins, thus all who are in him also win. But you must be in him to win. He won. Remember, you, you've heard me say a thousand times. It's my, my most used example is that when your team wins, you win. And yet you didn't play. You didn't even play the game. You know, your old man, old lady sitting in a chair watching a game. Cheering. We won. You put on the hat. You identify with the team. They won. You won. We all win. Well, that's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus won the battle. We identify with him, not with a hat, 
Well, we can put a hat on with a, a fish on it or something. I love Jesus. But our identification with the winner, with the victor, is faith. Faith is what identifies us with the victor and makes us also victorious. So when we look at the end times events, and just in an overview, uh, we've got wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, World War I and World War II, and the increase of famines and earthquakes worldwide, that's been happening. Uh, I just put World War I, World War II, that's just in our generation. Israel regathered in their unbelief. That happened in 1948 after World War II, after six million of them were exterminated. Jerusalem must govern herself, and currently it does quite well, I might add. Um, the rapture of the church, I believe, could come at any moment. If it can't come at any moment, here's the problem. Here's why I think if you believe in the rapture, and you should, um, although the Bible doesn't call it a rapture, uh, says it's a that's a it's actually a Latin word, and the, the, the Greek word translated in English is caught up together. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses thirteen to seventeen speaks of that event. First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses fifty one, fifty two speaks of that event. So the rapture of the church. If you don't believe it's pre-tribulation, then you will be able to pinpoint the second coming of Christ. And what did Jesus say about that? No man knows that. And why will you be able to pinpoint it? Because if you're here, if we're here, and we see the signing of that peace treaty, we know how much time is left until the second coming of Christ. There's seven years, right down to the last, the last half, 1260 days. Go get on your roof, put your PJs on, and wait for the coming of Christ. No. If that's the case, then you can't believe. You are, it's impossible for me to preach or you to believe that Jesus could come at any moment. I could tell you, if, if I believed it was mid-tribulation, I could tell you that Jesus is not coming today. It is not going to happen. And I could say that with great authority and conviction. Because if it's mid-tribulation, I can say that. That means you don't need to be ready today. You can go party and do whatever you want. Just stay alive. Make sure you're around for the signing of the peace treaty. And if you can hang around for three and a half years and do anything you want until the last day and then receive Christ, then do that. Do you think that makes for a good sermon? If it don't preach, it ain't true. God told us, Jesus told us to be ready at any moment. He's talking about the rapture. Make sure you get that. It's a pre-tribulation rapture. Don't let anyone tell you it's mid-tribulation. Don't tell anyone, let anyone tell you it's post-tribulation. Got people believing it's mid and post, and they're scared to death. Here's the other thing about that. What are they doing? We're going to have to be here for three and a half years of the tribulation, or maybe seven because we don't think the rapture comes until the end. What are they doing? They're digging holes in the ground. They're stockpiling food. Okay, that's great. Keep doing that. Here's the issue, folks. If you don't share that food, you are going to be separated with the goats when Jesus returns because how do you determine the goats from the sheep? By those who helped the poor? who clothed the naked, who visited those in prison, if you're living underground eating your stockpile of food, you're a goat. Save your food, if you're saving it, to feed the world at your own demise. No, that's not what it is. The rapture happens pre-tribulation. Don't let any smart aleck tell you that it's any other time. I say that with wonderful conviction. Wonderful in the sense that I know it's right. There's no point for a rapture mid-tribulation, certainly post. If it's post-rapture, say you live out the seven years, Jesus comes and raptures us and then brings us right back to judge sheep and goats, what's the point? 
And yet there are theologians that push it. Misguided though they are. They're still our brothers in Christ. Sisters in Christ. Let me step down off my soapbox. After the rapture of the church, you can expect a seven-year treaty with Israel. Begins the era of false peace and security. Three and a half years, everybody thinks everything's great. It's not. There will be a one-world government that begins with ten kings and ten kingdoms, of which the Antichrist comes and takes those over, rises to power, has complete control. Um, world leaders can do that. Um, always look for the schmoozers. A good-looking man, gifted in speech and communication that can just dazzle audiences. Uh, it's not going to be a stutterer. It's not going to be someone who's not tall, dark, and handsome because the world loves good-looking guys. They love good speakers. They love that polished look. Well, he's going to be that par excellence, easy to follow. Oh, he's going to be candy and easy on the eyes, right? All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with, once again, the fact that you are sovereign. You must laugh as we sit and speculate, but uh, um, I think that's why you gave it to us. May we not divide over things like this. Uh, we can be opinionated and think what we know is right, but uh, at the end of the day, our amillennial brothers, our sisters and brothers in Christ, uh, our post-millennial ones, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. We pray that you would send your kingdom soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas. 